Um, <clears throat> good morning, all. Um, I'm not good with cars. I am not a little bit good with cars. Um, I'm, I'm okay once I'm inside. I'm relatively confident behind the wheel. I know where to put gas. Um, but beyond that, I am a spent force. Uh, I, I know nothing past that. My wife, on the other hand, um, knows cars. She would, she, would, she would, you know, shuffle her feet if I was saying this and she were here. But she does. I mean, she can change her own oil. She can change her brakes if she's got the right tools and stuff like that. Like, she, she kind of knows cars. Um, it's been a while since we've been in the market to, to buy a car, but it always uh, tickled me a little bit, the, the couple of times that we have gone to, to purchase a car. I, you, know, uh, you know, we're either in a used car lot or buying from a private, from a private owner, and we're, we're, we're talking to this person. And invariably, the person selling the car, when they, when they are telling us about the car, they talk to me. Um, such is the nature of our society. Uh, they, they talk to me, and I stand and go, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and they when they tell me about the new, you know, purple drive that's been inserted in the Framajam, and I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But, but Joelle, you know, a humble person that she is, she doesn't need everybody to know that she's the one who knows, but I just sort of make sure that she's listening. <laughs> And, and she, has, she has saved us from a few unfortunate purchases on a couple of occasions. Um, and I can't help but wonder if these people who are trying to sell us cars would have behaved or spoken differently had they but known who was really in charge. Um, and, and I confess something to you today. Um, even though I do know better, like I actually do know better, um, sometimes I behave as though I, I behave as though I don't remember who it is that is in charge of the universe. Um, I, I know this. I'm aware of this because I know that if I did remember, I would act differently. I would I would speak differently. I would. I would think differently. I would love differently. Now, this day, for, for those of you um, who pay attention to such things, is, is actually the last Sunday of our church calendar. It's called Christ the King Sunday. Um, what this means is that there are Christians sort of all over the world, those from liturgical traditions anyway, who are closing out their church year by celebrating Jesus' kingship. His dominion over all things. It's like a, like a, a final blowout before the ringing in of the, of the new church year uh, with the observance of, of Advent next week as we anticipate Christmas. So while ours is not exactly a, a liturgical tradition, I, I trust that y'all won't mind if I bring something that sort of accidentally turned out to be um, kind of a seasonal New Year's-y kind of message today. We're going to explore a little bit about what it means to live lives in submission to Jesus, to his will and his way as, as loyal subjects of the kingdom of God. So um, 
We're going to be reading from John, the book of John, the gospel of John, uh, the last chapter, chapter 21. So if you want to follow along in in the Bible, there's ushers that are coming forward with Bibles. So if you want to uh, follow along, um, please do. And and if you wouldn't mind, if you're able, please stand as we read the word of God. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So uh, even if you decide you're going to sort of snooze your way through the rest of the message, pay attention to this. This is the word of God. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, that is the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did... They were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. 
This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Now, we're we're reading from the Gospel of John here, which was authored, um, much to the surprise of absolutely nobody, uh, by John. And John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples and would indeed seem to have been um, one of Jesus' like, best friends. Um, John's gospel was likely the last of the four gospels to be written. Um, you know, each of the four gospels uh, presents the person and ministry of Jesus from a slightly different perspective, but John's is probably the most different. Um, the relative similarity of the other ones have been, you know, it's been well noted by, by biblical scholars. They refer to them as the synoptic gospels, but, you know, John is the other gospel. You know, there are accounts of the life of Jesus that we find in um, the other gospels, but are missing in John, and other stories about Jesus that we know from the book of John, but, you know, aren't elsewhere. And there are all sorts of other differences, but, but one of the most interesting things to note about the book of John, is that John spends a lot less time talking about Jesus teaching, you know, to the masses. Uh, He spends a little less time on that. And he spends more time on Jesus' more intimate conversations. Um, Conversations with the disciples, yes, but also, you know, more extended, personal, one-on-one kinds of conversations. It's it's, it's where we find Jesus' discussion with, with Nicodemus, if you're familiar with that story in chapter 3, or the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, and now, as we've just finished reading this, this profound and deeply personal conversation with Peter, we're, uh, we're told in a couple of the places in the Bible of, of Jesus' initial calling of the disciples. Um, when he first called them, you know, many of them were, were fishermen by trade, um, which was a decidedly unremarkable profession. It was in a seaside town, Bethsaida. Um, you know, it's like being a, like a wheat farmer in central Saskatchewan. It's nothing ignoble about it, but it's decidedly unremarkable. Um, and Jesus came to them where they were. You know, they were doing what they were doing as fishermen. And, and after helping them miraculously catch fish, and I'm not even talking about this, I'm talking about back when he first called them. He miraculously helps them to catch fish, um, and, and then he invites them to follow him. And they dropped what they were doing, and they left the security of the life they had behind, and they followed. And, and since then, these disciples, this, they were you know, students, protégés, friends, 
of Jesus. They had followed him throughout his earthly ministry, and they had seen him, they had watched him through seasons of, some seasons of tremendous popularity, but, but more recently, they had walked with him through some, some darker days. Uh, the religious and, and political authorities of his time uh, viewed Jesus and his message of the good news of the kingdom of God. They, they viewed him and his message, well, rightly, I suppose, they viewed it as a threat to their power and their position, to their sort of their whole system that they had worked out. You know, that's, I, I suppose that's been the case with power brokers throughout history and, and is indeed the case uh, today. But that's another discussion entirely. Um, but at any rate, these religious and political authorities, they had Jesus arrested. It, well, it would probably be more accurate to say that Jesus allowed himself to be arrested on, on kind of trumped up charges, and, and he was convicted at a, you know, a joke of a farce of a trial, and he was um, beaten, and whereupon he was al- allowed himself to be uh, executed on a, a cruel instrument of torture. And then just when it seemed like it was all over and everything lost, he continues to confound our expectations and, and you know, he goes and rises from the dead and, and shows himself to his followers. So now after all of this, you know, Peter, uh, I don't know, maybe he's hungry, maybe he's, you know, he's broke, or maybe he's, I don't know, maybe just after everything, he just feels like he wants to do something familiar to clear his head. I don't know. But at any rate, he basically says to the others, I don't know about you, I'm going fishing. And everybody else says, okay, I'm coming too. Um, and, and, and here it is that after a night in a boat of catching squat all, Christ meets Peter once again in an almost like a mirror image of the first time he called him. In, exact, in essentially the same place, and, and calls him again to something higher, to something, to something better, and he offers Peter the chance to start again. As I was reading this passage, I was reminded of something that was pointed out to me um, some like 15 years ago uh, by a significant mentor figure of mine. So um, what I have received from wise men and women, I pass on uh, to you. Uh, he pointed out that, that Jesus, um, the fact that Jesus cooked breakfast for his disciples. I mean, first of all, let's just sort of sit and enjoy the fact that Jesus serves his people that way. That's kind of cool. But, but he pointed out the fact that this breakfast of roasted fish was cooked over a charcoal fire. Okay? Um, I myself am not an outdoorsman. Uh, I don't mind pleasant walks or hikes in the outdoors. That's fine. But when it comes time to, to sleep or eat, no. Um, I, I know that some of y'all really dig that kind of thing. Um, but, but me, not so much. Um, camping, like, like real camping, has always, it's always struck me as the kind of thing that you'd do for Lent. You know, like... <laughs> I'm going to give up a real bed and a roof over my head, you know, like it, but anyway, um, it's not my thing, but I'm told, I've heard tell from people who, who do understand these kinds of things, um, is that if you're going to cook something over a charcoal fire, over coals, 
it actually requires some planning. Um, you have to build the fire, you have to let it blaze, and then essentially allow the fire to burn out, and then you're able to cook over the smoldering coals that remain. The idea is that this fire was actually some time in the making. But, but the point that this mentor of mine was making, the, what I think he was wanting me to understand, was that God was at work. He was preparing things for the disciples long before they were aware of him. That as the disciples struggled and worked and caught nothing, God was also at work preparing things for them of which they weren't even aware. And, and doubtless there are some of you that are in or have been in positions like this, in a season like this. You might feel like you know, you're working hard but seeing no fruit. You might feel like you're praying hard but you know, kind of to no avail. And you might be discouraged or despairing. You might even be... Um, you know, questioning your calling or wondering to yourself about whether or not what you're doing even matters. And, and uh, you know, I'm not here to try to tell you whether or not that's so, you know. Um, it may be that, that God sees fit to end your dry spell with a great haul like he did with, with the disciples, with, with Peter. But um, maybe not. I, you know, I don't know, and I'm not going to pretend to tell you that I know. Um, but what I do know is this. I know that in the midst of this season, that God sees you. God sees you. He sees you, and he, he knows what it is that you're going through. And though his help and his comfort might be slow in coming... It comes nonetheless. And when you, are, when you are out in the boat, as it were, straining at the oars, um, he is making the fire. When you are trying to shield yourself against the cold sea wind in the dead of night, he is stirring the coals. And when you're pulling and staring, it seems, yet again at empty nets, he's seasoning and roasting the fish, so that when you do come ashore, whether or not he sees fit to give you what it is that you think you need, he can comfort you and feed you what it is that you really do need. Because, you know, Peter, he, he goes out and he's looking for fish, but Jesus saw Peter. I mean, really saw Peter. And when Peter came ashore, Jesus sets out to meet Peter's real need over that blessed charcoal fire. So, Jesus prepares the breakfast for the guys, you know, helping them out with an immediate felt need. Um, but afterwards, he takes Peter aside. And um, we have this very kind of intense, yet very tender scene in which Jesus offers Peter three opportunities to confess his love for Jesus. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of beauty in this. Um, and many commentators have pointed out the many parallels of this passage, including the idea that Jesus offers 
Peter these, these three opportunities to declare his love as almost like a, a gracious therapy for Peter for, for having denied Jesus just a few short chapters earlier three times. And there's a, there's a lot of sort of yummy spiritual goodness in, in there for another time. But, but, but Jesus ends this discussion here by commissioning Peter. He, he, he commissions him, gives him a job to do. He alludes to Peter's death, and then he looks deep into Peter's eyes, and he says, follow me. Now, see, Peter's no fool. Um, he knows what it is that Jesus is saying. He's been following Jesus around for the past number of years, and he knows, he, I mean, Peter knows how Jesus rolls, okay? Jesus' life was one of service. He was, it was one of, of pouring himself out to serve others, all the while enduring tremendous opposition and scorn. He was constantly being misunderstood by, by those who either refused to listen or else simply they, they just couldn't understand the, the kind of savior he was or, or couldn't understand the nature of true power and true glory. You know, and, and Jesus nonetheless continued to pour himself out. He poured himself out and poured himself out and ultimately he gave up his life to a brutal death and then he turns to Peter as he turns to you and me and says, follow me. I, you know, really, Jesus? You know, really? I mean, this is, a, this is an extremely heavy, extremely weighty moment, fraught with all sorts of emotion, and it's no wonder that Peter's immediate instinct is to deflect, right? Um, he, Peter sees John walking along, and, and in answer to the intensity of the situation, says to Jesus, yeah, well, what about him, you know? Um, I don't know if it was the emotionality of the situation or if he was struggling with the idea of the responsibility that Jesus was laying on him of feeding his lambs. You know, maybe he just didn't enjoy talking about his own death. You know, there are not a lot of us who do. At any rate, Peter was decidedly ready for Jesus to be talking about something or, or someone else for a change. And Jesus, um, faithful and, and true to form, tells Peter what it is that he needs to hear. He doesn't tell him what he wanted to hear. He doesn't even answer the question he asked. But he tells him what he needs to hear, which, which was in essence this. <laughs> None of your business. Jesus, what about him? None of your business. You follow me. Um, Jesus' response regarding John is... Is, is really quite cryptic, but his response regarding Peter to Peter could not have been clearer. You follow me. Literally, actually, in the original Greek, it's a very direct three-word sentence, okay? It's, Jesus says, you, me, follow. It's, it's this very kind of direct sentence, um, but it, it's actually, in fact, in the, in the continuous present tense, right? So, you be following me. This is, a, this is a new thing for you to begin doing continuously. Or, you know, for the benefit of the grammar nerds in the house, it's, it's actually an imperative present continuous. 
So in other words, you must continue to be following me. But in the Greek, however, it's this very direct, almost, almost terse, you, me, follow. The rest of the thing, this, this, this is none of your business. Now, Jesus isn't suggesting that following him isn't a team sport. Um, it absolutely is. You know, that's why, as believers, we gather together on Sundays, we gather in small groups. Um, the reality is that we are better together. We're stronger together. We are, we are more resilient together, to be sure. He is, however, saying that my commitment, that, that your commitment to follow him is and must be our own. It must be something that we own ourselves. That is, that, that, that even if others fail to be obedient, Christ says to you, he says, you, me, follow. He's saying that, that when the things of this, of this world, be they, be they struggles or enticements, be they pl- painful or pleasurable, when they vie for your attention, don't be distracted. You, me, follow. He's saying that, that, that your obedience might very well look a little bit or a lot different than somebody else's obedience. But don't be distracted by that. You, me, follow. Um, you know, I, in addition to my work here as a pastor, my, my other gig is, is um, I work at a, a small Bible college in Surrey, um, and in both of those contexts, I'm, I'm sometimes off, um, asked to, you know, provide, you know, mentorship or spiritual direction. And, um, and I, I, tried to, I, I do try to be a good example in my walk with Christ. But when I fail to mentor well, it's usually because I'm trying to get people to follow me. When I, when I fail to do a good job at mentoring, it's, it's, it's because... I'm, I'm wanting people or trying to get people to be a follower of Jesus like I am. Um, but when I do it well, when I mentor well, it's because I'm remembering to point people to Jesus. It's because I'm, I'm helping them to be attentive to what he is showing them, to what he is doing in their lives. Um, it, it's because I'm encouraging them to submit to as much of Jesus as they know, and then to hunger for and, and pursue with all that is in them, more of Jesus to submit to. Um, you know, we need each other a lot for encouragement, for teaching, for fellowship and, and support and rebuke. And sometimes, indeed often, we, we need each other even to help discern what it means to follow Christ. But Jesus' words to Peter and to you, and to me, are fairly simple. You need to be continually following me. Or, if you prefer, you, me, follow. Um, the last thing that I would like to point out is, is actually, um, it's actually kind of a sidebar. It's, it's sort of incidental to the rest of the passage, and, and normally I probably wouldn't even bother mentioning it, uh, except that today, Christ the King Sunday is sort of our ecclesiastical New Year's Eve. Um, 
and, and the truth that, that I'm going to point to here is, is actually so foundational, it just seems to right, it just seems right to, to point to this as, as individuals and as a community, we embark on a new year. So, um, here it is for what it's worth. Uh, as I mentioned before, the, the book of the Bible he, here that we're reading from was authored by John. Um, I, was, I was talking to Arthur uh, about a month ago, and I, I, we, I mentioned the, the book of John. And, um, and, and immediately Arthur says to me, he says, oh, you've got to love John. And, he, and he, he immediately just sort of softens his features and puts on this warm voice and, and says, Dear children, love one another, which, which if, you, if you know, is actually a pretty good impression of John. Um, if you look at the writings of John, there's a gentleness, there's a real tenderness to John's writing, often addressing fellow believers as dear little children, you know. Um, but the thing is, he wasn't always like that. Uh, when, when we're first introduced to John in, in the Bible, um, he and his brother James, they're nicknamed Sons of Thunder. You know, this is the guy who, who, who wanted Jesus to call down fire on a Samaritan village because they weren't particularly helpful. Um, you know, this, he, we're talking about a guy with some temper issues. So what happened to him to bring about this, this, this amazing transformation? Um, I think we get a bit of a clue in this passage. Um, and really throughout the Gospel of John. In, this, in his Gospel, if you look at it, John doesn't refer to himself by name or by first-person pronouns. Rather, whenever he's talking about himself, he refers to himself in this passage and elsewhere as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, why would John do this? I, I mean, I, I don't think he's trying to help his reader to distinguish between himself and, you know, Philip, the disciple whom Jesus hated, and Andrew, the disciple with whom Jesus was okay, and Bartholomew, the disciple who got on Jesus' nerves from time to time. Like, it, it, that's not what it is. I suspect he was, it was, it was simply that, it was simply that the love of Jesus, being loved by Jesus, had so transformed him that it became for John the thing that defined him, that, that, that characterized him. It became the thing that most marked him, more even than his own name. He had gotten to the place that when, you know, when he looked in the mirror in the morning, supposing that such a thing would happen, you know, he was able to see almost before all else a person deeply loved by Jesus. And this completely rocked him. It transformed him. It was, it, was a, it was a metamorphosis that would become the foundation for his ministry going forward. I don't remember who said it, but um, I heard a quote once that, that said something along the lines of this. Um, a saint is a person who is defined not nearly so much by their capacity to love as by their capacity, their willingness to receive the love of God. That's, um, that's kind of all I have to say. Uh, are there any questions?
okay if there aren't. Are there? No? Um, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite the, the band up. We are going to close in song, but... but um, come up, guys. But, but just w- before I do, um, before I finish, just one thing then. Because before Jesus was crucified, actually, um, Pilate, the, the Roman governor, was, was interrogating Jesus concerning the charges that were laid against him by these religious and political leaders, um, namely that he claimed to be king, because that was the, kind of the only one of Jesus' crimes that would have warranted any intervention by Rome. And what we get is, is, is this. Um, so this is, this is Pilate and Jesus. In Romans 18, I'm going to start reading at verse 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who have handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Um, On this Christ the King Sunday, let's, let's ask God together to grow us in our capacity to submit, to hear truth, um, to surrender to his lordship. Christ is, is lord over all of the universe, and we celebrate that reality. The whole of, of the cosmos knows its creator. And as his followers, as subjects of the kingdom of Lord Jesus Christ, we want to follow close after him. So uh, allow me, if you would, to lead you through a brief spiritual exercise of consecration right now, an exercise um, wherein we will together uh, commit ourselves afresh to following Jesus. So if, if um, yeah, if you would, stand with me maybe. And I want you to, to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine in front of yourself Um, a a shaft of light. Maybe it's like a a spotlight coming down from above. That that shaft of light represents the the love of God. It's warm. It's inviting. And it's free. And I want you to imagine yourself Um, stepping into that. Step into that shaft of light. We don't have a lot of space where we're at, but maybe even if if you've got room, take a physical step forward and step into that, into the the light of the love of God and feel it and enjoy it. Let it fill you. And as it fills you, you realize that it was there all along, even before you stepped. 
and it's there with you forever, and it'll never leave you. And you hear the voice of Jesus asking, do you love me? And follow me. Where is that light, that, that love, that following Jesus? Where is it going to take you? Maybe today, maybe in the coming week. Where is it going to take you? I mean, in general, there are things, there are, there are places that it's going to take all of us. The bringing of the kingdom, the serving of the world around us. And maybe there's something specifically for you. Listen, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. Let's pray. Jesus, lover of my soul, where are you taking me? Into joy? Into pain? Lord, Lord the, the world is an uncertain place, and, and we acknowledge that we're sometimes even afraid, but the truth is that we know that to do anything other than follow you is to choose lesser things. And to look for wholeness apart from you would be to lose our true selves. So we come to you and we choose to follow you. Sometimes protesting and confused, but loving you all the same. So hold us close, we pray, as we walk together through the compelling landscape of our world, as we participate in the advance of your kingdom to the honor and the glory of your name. Amen. So as, as usual, if there are, there, are, you know, there are snacks at the back uh, and, and, and refreshments there, so take advantage of those. And if you want to receive prayer, come on down to the front. We, we love to pray with you around here. Um, but for now, um, receive the benediction. And it's this. Christ our King is Lord over all. You, Him, follow. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Be blessed.